Hi, I'm Chad Hughes, and you're listening to Elevated Access, the inside story. This episode, I met with Dave Gold, a mediation professional with 32 years of experience in helping others resolve conflict. A lawyer by training, Dave shares his path to mediator and some of the work he has done relative to access. He breaks down the nature of conflict, the approach of unpacking our story, and he takes us to a place he calls Rumi's Field. He shares practical advice for not only dealing with conflict, but preparing for it ahead of time. This episode is packed full of advice that you can't miss. So let's tune in now to the conversation with Dave. Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chad. I appreciate being here. Well, I'm so glad that you and I were introduced. Um, Shout out to Mark Bradley for doing that. What we're going to lean into today is we're going to lean into the topic of conflict. And in the, the type of work that we do whenever we're acquiring access for a development, there are times where we run into conflict and it can be at various levels. And I, I, I think there's a lot to unpack around the topic of, of this. And, and given your 32 years of um, being a mediator and oftentimes helping people like myself uh, or those in my profession, um, you know, I, I think we're going to have a great, a great conversation on this today. So why don't we start with you uh, telling us a little bit about your background and how you ended up becoming a mediator? Sure. I, I graduated from law school in 1975 and, and articled in Calgary and then went to Banff and, and started a practice with two of my friends who were already up there. Um, and uh, that practice uh, went fine. Uh, the Banff, of course, is, is a tourist town and a small town. Um, so I had a very general practice. I did the, uh, the federal prosecutions. I prosecuted drugs and I prosecuted Parks Canada uh, issues for a number of years. And uh, just generally, though, it was a small town. So as a consequence, the litigation always troubled me because I was usually engaged with someone I might see in the grocery store. So I began to think about ways to do things differently. And, and in, in 1988, uh, I went through my own midlife crisis. I got myself a, a divorce. I didn't buy a red sports car, but I did move to Calgary. And one day I ran into a fellow on the street in 1988 and uh, he told me about mediation and some training that was being offered. Um, so I took that training, mediation training. I, had, I hadn't even uh, understood what the word meant until I took the training. And I was so enamored with it that I decided to shift my practice to, to focus on mediation. And in fact, I went to work with uh, another gentleman and we started a, a business called Canadian Dispute Resolution Corporation which between 1988 and 2000, we mediated across Canada and Toronto and Vancouver and Calgary and Edmonton with offices. And we trained some 150 mediators to work with us. And we did over 13,000 insurance cases. It was focused on the insurance industry. And it was, it was very successful until the industry decided that no fault and other types of programs to limit claims were more effective, and, and so I shifted my focus at that time to work with the Alberta Energy and Utilities Board in 1999 and designed for them, with them, I guess, uh, an appropriate dispute resolution process, um, which was their focus uh, for what, what at that time was called ADR, alternate dispute resolution. They didn't like the, the term alternate because um, the, the, the board process was, of course, appropriate. And, and so they wanted to have another appropriate dispute resolution process that occurred before the parties got to the, to the hearing steps. And, and that involved me in working with um, the AUB to train some 300 of their staff to be in-house facilitators. And, and those facil- facil- facilitations were quite successful in reducing the number of hearings. And their reports have been out for years on the success of that program. Mm-hmm. In fact, they got some awards. They got some awards for doing it. And, and then since then, I've just been mediating for, of course, mostly most of the mediation is done because I'm a lawyer by background uh, with law firms, uh, all sorts of conflicts from 
family estate transitions to business disputes to uh, wrongful dismissal, you name it, and I've done it. In 2000, and I think it was about 13 or 14, I, I went over to Albania and did a, a mediation in Albania. With a, I don't speak Albanian, uh, but they, uh, they, they, they have a very uh, large mediation group attached to the government. So I worked with one of their mediators and helped an oil company deal with mm-hmm. uh, a number of communities around the, their particular project. Uh, so that was fascinating. It was, it was quite controversial. I remember we being sat down in the office of the oil company and showing a drone that had bullet holes in it because somebody had shot it out of the sky. That was how controversial it was. Wow. So lots of very interesting stories, and we'll probably get into some of them. Yeah. So I'm curious about, I often ask this question of of my guests, you know, along the way, you know, what you described there, 13,000 cases over about a 12-year period with a team yeah. focused on in the on on the insurance industry but my my sense is that you probably with that volume of cases dealing with conflict of different types that you probably started to see some either some patterns emerge or even maybe for yourself started to develop your own philosophies around how to how to deal with different types of conflict can you explain is there is there a, more of a story there the main story uh, is conflict is inevitable and everywhere. Uh, we're just going to have it in our lives. It, it's uh, there's a good test for conflict. Um, you breathe on a mirror. If it fogs over, you have conflict somewhere in your life because you're alive. As, as far as the philosophy is concerned, the the insurance world was a bit unique because if you think about it, it involves usually a, a, an accident. Um, and, and the person who is the defendant is represented by the insurance company. And the plaintiff and the defendant may never even ever meet. They might not even be sure of each other's names for that matter. The dispute is between the insurance professional who has a very narrow box or window of what they're prepared to do to settle the case and the plaintiff. And, and so mediation in, in, in that experience was largely an exercise in in, in giving the plaintiff an opportunity to feel heard and tell their story of how injured they were. And the adjuster hopefully to, uh, supported to do a good job of listening and acknowledging that. And then providing a bit of a reality check for what was realistic in terms of the litigation and, and having the party settle. So those mediations, uh, many of them, most of them were, were short, two to four hours, uh, and involved an adjuster, sometimes a defense counsel, and a plaintiff's counsel and the plaintiff. Mm. And uh, one l- early lesson from that was, uh, <laughs> in fact, my first insurance mediation, <laughs> very first one in 1988, with a very senior adjuster and, and his uh, very senior uh, lawyer. And, and, the, and the husband arrived, his wife had delivered him. He uh, completed the mediation. We got it settled. It took about four hours. His wife came to pick him up. And uh, when she found out what he had settled for, she was furious. And she, she blew up and said, there's no way we're doing this. We're going blah, blah, blah. The, 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 the other side was sophisticated enough to re-engage in mediation. We went back in for another hour and a half and, and had her understand how we got to the number. So it was, it was taking her from being frustrated and angry and frightened to a place of understanding. And largely that's what happens in mediations is it's about creating a a playing field of understanding uh, that allows the parties to co-create good solutions for the future. Well, well, let's, let's dive into the conflict piece. And I, <clears throat> I'd like to start with um, maybe you providing some context around the nature of conflict. Sure. Because as I said earlier, it's, it's inevitable. It's everywhere. And it, it, it can be framed initially as a difficult conversation and sometimes even, even a difficult negotiation. So the conflict is created by the stories that the parties have about what happened to them and what they made it mean. So for nature of conflict, a, a simple example, uh, you're at a, a, a hockey game arena. It's a, a 15-year-old hockey game, late season. The teams are tied. The stands are filled with family and friends. And the referee misses a call at the blue line, and one team scores to win the game. Now, in that moment, by virtue of the events, half that audience is outraged at the referee 
and, and half is ecstatic because their team won. So if, if you were talking to them the next day, you would expect to hear very different stories about what happened and what they made it mean from the two parties. And both of them would be, in their own minds, in their own experience, correct, right. And the focus would be on fault and blame and right and wrong. And if you think about it, that focus is on the past. It's looking backwards to events and describing and holding on to those events in our minds. And those events become the drivers for our creation of the future. Mm. Because if we stay focused on fault and blame and we hire lawyers and the arguments they make are about proving the fault and blame, then our future becomes about a lot of conflict. And so uh, truly at the center of, of, of and the nature of conflict is a shift, if you like, from the past and what happened and fault and blame and right and wrong and all the drama that we share with our friends and family and get them on our side and our lawyers and get them on our side. Uh, a shift of the conversation from that, based on on a, on a quality of understanding of what happened. Like I want to, I want to know how you see it, Chad. You want to know how I see it, but not for who's right or wrong, but for understanding. I need to understand how you see it, and vice versa. Mm. That shift then allows for a co-creation of the parties of a future that is about solution and resolution and a better path forward and all sorts of things, including business plans. And, and, repaired relationships and repaired families and so on. And, and so at its, at its simplest, what a mediator does is help the party share their stories of fault and blame for right and wrong and shift the focus to the now and in the now share stories for understanding and then shift the focus to the future and how do we solve this together. Mm. Very well explained, Dave. I uh, yeah, Even reflecting on some of my own circumstances in the past, it's I don't know if it's human nature or not. I, I I think it is that desire to rally people around the way you see things. You know, it's sure. almost comforting if you can find people that will be be on board with. Yeah, I I agree with you. I see I see things that way too, and that may not um, always lead to the best uh, resolution. If you've got a conflict with somebody, it's the opposite of trying to understand their side of the story. Exactly. And, and part of the challenge with people with conflict is that they, they truly do believe that they're right. Uh, they have a judgment about the other side, their fault and blame, and, 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 and the other side won't be fair or is dishonest or whatever. And as long as that polarization stays in place, the conflict, it's like yeast in the fridge. It's going bad on you over time. And, and, and after 32 years, I, I've done tremendous number of mediations uh, a lot of them unfortunately uh, in the late stages of the litigation process uh, lawyers would would go through a bunch of the steps they they deem necessary to establish and prove your side of the story to a judge or an arbitrator and finally get to the place where uh, they're prepared to consider a, a resolution and they hire a mediator and I, I've done a lot of those. Unfortunately, a lot of the damage already been done. I saw families torn apart and businesses go bankrupt from the cost of litigation, the damage of the lawsuit, and, and, and friendships destroyed. I, in fact, myself was involved in a business endeavor a few years back that, uh, that ended up in litigation. <laughs> the shoemaker's yeah. children have no shoes. Yeah. I, I did my best to, to get a conversation happening, but there was a number of parties and they were locked in. And uh, we spent a lot of money and wasted a lot of time. So not only do I believe it because I've been mediating and seen it, I believe it because I have had it impact me personally. Right. So one of the things um, you've shared with me and you, you talk about in your, your guide, and I'll, I'll, I'll mention that later for our guests so they're aware of this um, guide that you've, you've developed. Sure. But one of the things you talk about in that guide is unpacking your story. Did we spend a little time on that? Uh, the guide occurred in part because of what I just shared about 32 years of seeing late mediations. The earlier one gets to deal with and engage with their own conflict, the better. And, and so what the guide does is it says to, to parties in dispute, 
here are some steps that you can take uh, for yourself and 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 by all means engage if you if you've been enrolling your friends or your family have them engage with you in this but have them engage with you to to support you to be objective about it and so in a sense you take your story and there's a simple tool you take a blank sheet of paper write a line down the middle and with the help of friends or on your own tell the story write down the story but only what happened just the facts and i i invite people to be really diligent in 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 saying this happened this is a fact and i know that because not judgment and interpretation but but actual proof because if if you actually get into the litigation of course your lawyer is going to be focused on that list big time in helping you decide what you could prove and how you would prove it and, and that's where things get really messy and expensive uh, so you take a piece of paper, write a line down the middle, on the left side, just the facts. And then on the right side, write down your meanings, your judgments, your interpretations, your assumptions. Because most conflict exists on the right-hand side of the page. Most of the factual conflict can be relatively simply determined. And, and so I invite people to do that separation. But then that's not quite enough. As best as they might be at being objective, it's only half the story. So then I invite themselves to put themselves in the other person's shoes, to walk a mile in their shoes, and to, 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 to uh, try and, and, with the same sheet of paper, write a line down the middle on the left-hand side, your best guess, and it is a guess, as to what they see are the facts, just the facts. And on the right-hand side of the page, write down what you think based on, because there's engagement there. You've been, it's not just blowing up in the street like a insurance claim. Write down your interpretation of their judgments, interpretations, and assumptions. Uh, and then take those two sheets of paper and do an analysis of it to, to ask the simple question, what's really most important here? What are the interests and needs and concerns that I see for myself and my story and their story? And what do I think their interests and needs and concerns are? Because those interests and needs or what you want your future to look like. In the middle, in the litigation mindset, that would be the judge is going to agree with me and I'm going to get ding, 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 ding. Maybe yes, maybe no. In my years as a, as a litigator, and I did some of it, certainly, I won cases that I shouldn't have and lost cases that I, I shouldn't have. So there's no certainty in litigation. Uh, in fact, one of the most important pieces of information a, a lawyer learns, even these days, especially in these days, is the name of the judge that's just been appointed to your case. Because judges are human, and they put their pants on one, one leg at a time, and, and they have their own judgments and assumptions. So sometimes the name of the judge is really important because mm -hmm. the lawyer knows their history and knows that they are either going to be more for you or more against you. Um, and and I, I think most lawyers would agree with that. Not all. Some of them would, would protect the sanctity of judges, but they're, they're, they're just human beings and they have their own judgments and assumptions. Yeah. And unfortunately, if you leave it to them, they'll give you your future, but you might not like yeah. it. So when, when, a, when a person sits down and does this exercise, it occurs to me that it would, it would help that person with that shift in mindset by doing the other side does does is that is, yeah, is that definitely. is that a starting point to yeah. sure it is sure it is it's 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 the beginning of the shift from fault and blame and right and wrong because if our story however we've written it down uh, if we if we stay stuck with it interpret it and judge it as fault and blame and right and wrong then we're stuck in the conflict mm -hmm. And we need to reach outside ourselves to a judge or an arbitrator via lawyers, and that's expensive and time-consuming and, and in many ways damaging. Right. Uh, by doing this exercise, though, we're, we're really asking ourselves and, and our family to support us in this, to step back from the problem and shift the focus from I'm right and they're wrong to, okay, how do they see it and how do I see it and how do we have conversations about how we see it? Uh, that can lead us to finding a, a solution. And because the guide is intended to be a tool for people really early in the conflict, before it has gotten so toxic, 
uh, I think it has an excellent chance of being effective at having people take a step back and go to what I refer to as Rumi's field. Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. So in, in, in my experience, a mediation is Rumi's field. It's a place for conversations and dialogue to share stories for understanding and, and meaning without the drama of fault and blame and right and wrong and shift that conversation to looking at the interests and needs and concerns that have been analyzed in the guide and proposing solutions for the future, generating options. It's, it's a brainstorming session. Can we do this? Can we do this? Would this work? Apply practical tools to that, like uh, standards. The oil industry, of course, has a lot of regulatory standards that it has to face. And so uh, as a mediator, I would often be helping the parties not create a, uh, a solution that the regulator wouldn't agree to. Right. Right. And that conversation also occurs in Rumi's field with the mediator. The guide is intended for people to use on their own. Uh, but it's an excellent tool for preparing for lawyers and for, for preparing for outreach to a, to a meeting mm. and to do that early. I, I, lo I love this uh, concept of Rumi's field. Do, do you introduce that when you're in a mediation with people? Do you introduce that type of thinking fairly early on as a place you want to get to? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I think that there are opportunities at the front end of a mediation before you've actually engaged with the parties together uh, to sit down with them and design uh, uh, what you're going to do together. And that's where I raise that, that notion. I might not quote Rumi for it, but I'm certainly talking about my role as being a facilitator of dialogue about the future and not a debate about the past and fault and blame. I acknowledge that they have their stories to share. I let them know that I'm going to help them share those stories for understanding rather than who's right or wrong. And I, I share with them that I will be their, their, their coach, their evaluator, their support to get over the roadblocks and barriers. Mm -hmm. That conversation varies if I've got a couple of experienced litigators in the room representing the parties or if I've just got the parties or, or whomever else is there. They may have family members. And so the, the roomy field description expands to, to accommodate their unique needs. And, and I think that's important because an awful lot of mediations, the mediator is booked by the lawyers for Tuesday, the 23rd of whatever, and shows up and walks in the room uh, with supposedly some kind of magic wand that makes the parties do things differently. Right. So I, I think that, that the preparation in the front end makes a big difference in how successful mediation can be. Yeah, I, I would I would agree. You, you, in, your, in your guide, you talk about the difference between dialogue and debate. It seems to me that if, you, if you're preparing people ahead of time with these tools, it seems to me that it, it, it may naturally take you into dialogue and, and avoid debate because of how you're setting up, setting the stage. Is that, is that fair or is there more, is there more to it? Well, that's fair. We, we, by nature, and some of us more than others, uh, love debate. Uh, one of the interesting things about uh, parties and stuff is people get into a debate over whatever the issue is, and everybody has a cell phone, so now they can look up and get the actual facts, right? <laughs> the facts are always at our fingertips. Um, so debate is not wrong, uh, and it's lots of fun at the right time. But if it causes us to stay focused on our past and conflict, it's doing a harm. And so that message to trigger, let's just instead, let's just talk about what happened in, 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 in not so much a benign way, but a way of sharing our stories. Um, it, some people are, are quite willing to, to say to the other side, I don't understand why you feel the way you do. Please help me understand it. Mm. Um, in, in the debate environment, if you think about a debate, it's you talk, I talk, you talk, I talk, you talk, I talk. Uh, or I, I do a diatribe and then you do a diatribe. And there's very little communication happening in the debate. It's just not so much shouting each other down, but it's, it's, it's articulating the logic from our brain as to why we're right. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that's fine. At the end of the day, through a very sophisticated production of documents and, and questioning and submissions to the court, you're in a sense having a debate before the judge. Only your lawyer's doing the talking. 
And the judge is going to interpret that based on his or her experience and tell you what your future is going to be like. And, and that is a luckless and unfortunate process in my view. I have mm-hmm. great respect for the litigators. They're doing a great job. But the, the, there is always going to be an opportunity for a resolution of the conflict short of the courthouse steps. And one senior, very senior litigator, is retired now, shared that Gould, he said, my clients are ready to settle when they're more pissed off at my fees than they are at the other side. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, that is a very poor reason mm-hmm. to choose mediation and a resolution. Yeah. So I'm getting a sense of how, like, how you fit in this, in the in the center of, let's just say, in the center of conflict, as a mediator. Can you tell us more about, like? And maybe even walk us through an example or something to give us a sense of, okay, from start to finish, what's your role and and how are you, you know, how are you behaving through that process? What do you, you know, and, and things you're watching for, uh, where you intervene, just, yeah, maybe paint the picture for us on, on how this works. Firstly, if, if people are asking me, what's the role of a mediator, I'm, I'm opining that it is got three parts to it. The first part is facilitator of that shift from debate to dialogue, and we've talked quite a bit about that. Uh, that facilitation role is really reflecting back to people uh, the core of what they are saying and helping them to unpack the drama from it and just get to that shared story. And so mediators are good at, 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 at listening and reflecting and, and reframing conversations in a way that allows the conversation to shift into Rumi's field, to shift into that future. The second thing I think we do uh, effectively is we, we, we structure ourselves as a referee. We, we, we have the, the, in the mediation agreement, where because mediation is voluntary, so when people sign my mediation agreement, they are, they are giving me permission to play three roles. The first I've described as facilitator. The second is referee. So I don't have a whistle, but I do stop the ineffective conversations. I take breaks and caucuses if somebody's got quite a bit of emotion happening. I sit down with them and work through what's triggered their... Because what's happened, of course, is if you think about it, I'm trying to keep them in Rumi's field. Something happens to one side, and they're triggered. And the trigger is like taking their head and going zap back into the past. And and now they're stuck back there in their story, and they're outraged or umbraged about what went on. So part of my task is as the referee is to take them to the dressing room and work with work through the the uh, the drama and get them to see the possibilities that we've been working towards and bring them back into the room and, and perhaps do that with both sides. So that's the referee role and the caucus role. And then last but not least is the evaluation role. And it's, it's because I've been doing this a long time, I'm often asked to have an opinion. I don't like that word because I, 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 that's just making me sound like I'm a judge of some kind. But I do offer uh, questioning that, that evaluates or helps them evaluate the position that they're holding. And the position might be about some particular facts. So you're holding this position because you think this happened. But remember when we were talking, it maybe looked like this. So perhaps that position isn't as strong as you think. And if there are lawyers in the room, they might invite me to opine on how they see the legal uh, side of it, the legal roadblock, and, and to help them uh, work with their client to get past that. Mm-hmm. So three roles, facilitator, referee, evaluate. Mm, that's helpful. And in action, what that looks like is uh, I did a, a, a case uh, between an oil company that wanted to build an extension to its gas processing facilities way up north. Uh, The local landowner uh, didn't own the land where the the, the plant was, but but the access road crossed his land and he was very much an environmentalist. He was a a, a Tesla driver and uh, and was very strongly of the view that that, uh, we needed to do uh, many things to support uh, solving climate change. Uh, And I had had meetings with both sides beforehand uh, about Rumi's field and the theme and theory. And and interestingly, this particular landowner thought that was great. He 
he recognized, he said he recognized, and this is part of the evaluation step, uh, even before we got in the room, that uh, the regulator was likely to approve this, that the, the, the rationale the company had for expanding the plant made sense to him. Uh, he just didn't like it because of, of climate change. Um, and the, the vice president that they sent, because I, I had suggested they sent somebody really senior who could bind the company. Um, and, and they did a great job of creating uh, plans to, to uh, turn down the lights that shone on his property from the, the, just a bunch of very practical things that were connected to, to the environment, uh, but didn't stop the project. And at the end of a, of a full day session, um, they had an agreement, including some compensation for inconvenience. And, and in, in fact, they sent, uh, during the construction phase, uh, his wife and him to Hawaii for, <laughs> to, to get them away from the, the project while they did some particularly loud, noisy, and disruptive uh, renovations. When we're headed out to meet with a new stakeholder or landowner, we've got an access professional and as far as we know, there's no conflict that exists yet, at least surrounding our particular um, project. What can what can those people do in advance? Are there tools they can use well in advance of even meeting with somebody that that would help set the stage for conflict if it arises, or or is there or is there a point where it's it's premature and and it shouldn't even be brought up. Well, I, I'm sure there is a premature component to it, but, but but at some point in time, your team member is presented with a story from the company. And there is nothing that prevents him or her from doing a little bit of the initial unpacking of that story into what are the facts and what are the interpretations. Because the company's engineers and the people that have put together and say, we need to do this, let's say it's a pipeline. We need it to go here and we need it to be so deep because the regulator, blah, blah, blah. So very much your team member is handed a story. And if they simply be aware that that's what it is, a story, and the other side may well have a different story. So they think a little bit about what are the facts, what are the basic facts that I would need to, 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 to have at my fingertips? And, and then what is the company telling me about how they're going to deal with those facts? And I want, to, I want to have an understanding of that. So the separation is actually a good way for your team member to think about uh, the steps. And now they're they, they in the room with or gotten into contact. I'm assuming that you go out in the field and you meet, yep. uh, perhaps in their kitchen over the cup of coffee. Um, I would, I, I, I would, if it was me, I would share to them. Look, I, 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 I have a, a mandate from my company to do a particular project, high-level conversation about it here. Uh, but I, I'm really wanting to be part of a solution that works for you too. So, um, with that sort of general, just starting point, what would be the main concerns you might have? And as they talk, I'd be trying to break it down between facts. And, and, and meetings mm. and reflecting back. So, so for you, the, 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 the location of the pipeline means this and this and this, right? The fact is that, that the pipeline has to go a certain depth. You're okay with that. And you just, you're just parceling out what's a potential for conflict and what's simply a fact that, the, that both sides can agree to. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and unfortunately, I think sometimes the, the landmen are, are accused uh, probably sometimes properly so by being very directive. We have to have this, and, and the only issue here is how much we're going to pay you or whatever. And so the, the conversation becomes polarized. And unfortunately, that land agent is known then to be that way, and you have a problem with, uh, with, the, uh, with the, the credibility of the land agent. I, I've done many mediations where the landowner refused to have the uh, land agent that had been dealing with them as part of the mediation, that was a precondition. They wanted somebody from the company that they could have a conversation with. And in one sense, that makes sense because the decision maker is then there. Uh, but a lot of times there was a fair amount of bad feelings. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. I, you know, what I, what came to mind when you were, when you were sharing that is I, I thought about this idea of fear-based 
like a fear-based negotiation or even just say environment. And I think sometimes that can be created by the developer that an agent is representing. And um, I I remember in my earlier years uh, having a sense of fear around basically not doing my job well. And, and we had different clients we worked for and some were pretty good at getting hot under the collar and, and others were more patient. And, and so it created this underlying fear an undercurrent of fear, which then um, I think sort of impeded an approach that might be more collaborative because it's like, I just need to get this thing signed and I can't go over these thresholds or else I'm in big trouble. Do you, how often have you seen that or identified that as a factor to the issues? Chad, I think, I think uh, a lot, and it probably speaks to my previous diatribe about uh, um, the, the, the preparation by your, your, your agent. Because when you think about it, what, what you've just described is the company saying, this is what happened. These are the meanings, and we're right, and they're wrong. And your job is to go out there and carry that can and a big stick and make sure that we get what we need. That's not an unpacked conversation. And so the first step for your team in that instance is to work with the, the, uh, the proponent uh, to have them understand a little bit more about Rumi's field, understand a little bit more about the best approach to to get a good result here. Uh, almost all projects uh, uh, today with, with the oil and gas sector, of course, the AER still has a right of access mandate. And so um, there's a pretty big club there mm-hmm. in the sense that, you, that, that some kind of project is going to be on your land in all likelihood. Um, and as a consequence, repackaging that to meet the true interests and concerns and needs of the party is very important. Moving a pipeline from one side of their pasture to the other might be the best thing possible. But if it never gets on the table, how would you know? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I think what just occurred to me is that a signed document cannot be the only measure of success. And I, and I think that environment has changed over the years where yeah. most developers realize the importance of the rapport and the trust and that, that relationship that they really carry on into the future with them uh, well, well past our involvement oftentimes. And so, but if the only measure of success is a signed agreement, that in itself sort of lends itself to this pressure, this fear-based approach to, I got to get a deal done. And I think oftentimes it can be at the expense of the relationship with those people that you're dealing with. Yes, absolutely. The fear is really uh, being stuck in that story of the past and fault and blame, uh, whether it's been handed to you by your, your, your client and imposed on you, or whether your own lack of preparation has left you stuck there. Uh, but if that's the case and you simply finagle a deal, you walk away, I don't think feeling all that good about it. Uh, certainly the relationship is damaged. I mean, that's why a lot of late-stage mediation left the parties uh, with a lot of damage. They wouldn't talk to each other after that. Yes, they had gotten out of the lawsuit, um, and they had a deal, but they hated it. And, and that left the stories around the dinner table for a long time afterwards quite toxic. So I, I do believe the industry is much better today and working hard to build relationships, and it needs to. And in, in the current... Uh, social media and, and environmental environment, that's probably more important than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. I'd like to kind of broaden this discussion just for a moment and get and just get your perspective or your insights on the world we're living in today. From my point of view, the current environment that we're in, is it's, it's a very... There's a lot of right versus wrong, good versus evil uh, sort of um, dialogue, I suppose. And it's, you know, climate change is, is an area of that. Um, of course, things related to the pandemic, there's lots of right versus wrong uh, conversations having there. And I think the list goes on. Yes. What, 
like, what do you make of that? Does, does, is there a, is there a turning point for us as a society where we start to look at things differently? Or maybe the other question I have for you is, is it, has it, has it actually always been this way? It's a great question, and, and, and I've thought uh, quite a bit about that. I, I have two, two things uh, that I believe are, are, are a useful part of this discussion, this dialogue. First is, is that the tools that we now have, TikTok and social media and, and Twitter and so on, are tools of debate. By their nature, they limit the conversations to short, punchy bullets which if you think about it as a debate environment. And so it isn't and hasn't been, unfortunately, a great environment for dialogue, for actual exchange of ideas. And COVID made that worse because it meant that we couldn't get face-to-face. And so the use of the tools, and and, and I've been involved many times where the exchange of emails, as an example, was fostering the debate to the point where they broke down and couldn't talk anymore. The communication was completely gone because each side had this bucket of the other side's emails proving that they were, and then defined by right, wrong, fault, and blame, but usually with four-letter words. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the tools are, are supporting uh, debates and, 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 and partially also responsible for my second concern, and this one is deeply felt by me. We've lost the trust in truth. Uh, the, 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 the tools and, and, and uh, unfortunately Donald Trump's presidency and so many other things that have occurred, uh, we, we, we manufacture our truths and argue for them without any true uh, seeking of the real truth or the, the actual truth, the actual what happened. Mm-hmm. And, and so we've lost truth and, and, and that scares the hell out of me because it, it leaves us Functionally polarized to the point uh, of no way forward, because in in a dialogue we're sharing story for understanding to get clear on what are the real facts, the real truth, so that we can use that as a basis for creating a plan and steps to the future. And if our planning is all false drama and back and forth, the future is all screwed up. Right. We don't know where we're going with. Yeah. And and I I. Just at my age, I'm dismayed at that Mm-mm. because it's it's worse now, and I think than it's ever. Yeah, well, that's really well. Put. That last part really struck a chord with me around truth. It used to be that you look to the media to hold everybody accountable. I think like that was the 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 yeah. role of the reporter was to really dig into and find the truth. But uh, we seem to have gone a bit sideways on that too today, where um, between, between that and social media and Google, where you can basically find support for any angle you want to take. Um, and many of which maybe aren't based in truth. Uh, it leads to a pretty, pretty scary environment, pretty bumpy road. And mm, yeah, it doesn't. And, and, and of course the, Reality and the truth is is, is tricky. Um, one example that, that maybe speaks to this, I'm not sure because it just popped into my head, but we did a mediation uh, involving the drilling of a, of a, of a gas well. Uh, and the meeting was held in, in a community hall with some of the community members in the oil company. And as we were arriving, you could see off in the distance uh, a great big fire flare. Uh, because a well from another company is visible to this building uh, had uh, had gone it was was flaring was was uh, burning out of control and uh, and so the conversation in the room was about how safe the drilling of the well was and you looked out the window and here was absolute proof that in some instances it wasn't safe so it made for an interesting uh, discussion because it, it had been set up to be a conversation about a safe well, and it ended up being a conversation about reality. Right. Yeah. Well, I probably digressed us a little bit there, t- dipping my toe in, the, in that water, but I, but I do think there's relevance, and I hope our listeners think about um, 
conflict on a broader perspective as a result of that? Well, that's what the guide is all about. I, 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 it, it was simply my effort, and I'm trying to, it's free. Anybody can have it. Uh, they keep it on the, on the table. And, and when one of those difficult conversations occurs, whether it's between a brother and a sister over mom's estate or whatever it is, they, they pull the guide out and, and prepare for those difficult conversations, those difficult negotiations, uh, before they get in. Because uh, once you've, you've triggered and locked into the, to the, to the, to the, to the, uh, the conflict, it changes the whole experience you have of your life. Yeah. So you want to be happy and fulfilled in the future? My, my mom always told me in simple and I think many mothers have, would you rather be right or would you rather be close? Right. Yeah. And, and, and mediation is, is, is an attempt to get close. Yeah. And some people will go, ah. The other side is wrong, and, and but that that and, and then the tools today help them foster yep. that. Um, so Love that. It's not easy. Yeah, no. it takes discipline and it takes courage. It takes a lot of courage actually to use the guide mm-hmm. fully. I think it's easier to be fighting. I mean, I think you've unpacked a lot of advice here so far. But is there something you would point to to leave our listeners with here that would help them? Rumi's field is fundamentally an expression of, 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 of curiosity where uh, early in, in, in something happening and someone's doing something that's offside as far as you're concerned, you don't like it, and it's, it's upsetting, it's a difficult conversation, it's a difficult negotiation, it's maybe even a full-blown conflict. The first thing that I would invite people to do is be curious about why. What, what, how do they see it such that I'm having this reaction? So, in a sense, to take their own emotion and set it aside long enough to, and then, in my world, pick up the guide and go through the work of figuring out uh, what happened and what you made it mean, taking a look at why you made it mean that way, and asking yourself why they mean it that way, and then reaching out to the other side uh, with, with, with an invite. It's not a demand. Uh, lots of times amongst lawyers, it looks like it. Uh, it's an invite to have a conversation about the future and what's possible rather than a debate about the past and fault and blame. And, and I, I invite in my guide people to, to, to do that, to call up the other side or have their lawyer call up the other side and say, look, uh, this is not about us being weak. We can fight this all the way to the courts if we have to. Uh, but it seems to me there's an opportunity here for us to sit down and, and just really get clear on what did happen and why it happened and how it happened and how that understanding can then be based on a solution that would work for your client or for you, Bob, uh, and for me. So uh, I hope you're not so angry at me that you can't do this if I'm talking to the person personally. And, and so that that's my piece of advice. It's just you've got to reach out to try and solve it before you get locked into they're wrong and I'm right and I'm going to kick their ass. Mm-hmm. Something just came to my mind. I need to ask you, if there are listeners listening to this podcast that are thinking, you know, I'd like to pursue a career in as a mediator, sure. what advice would you give those people? Well, the Justice Institute, the Mount Royal College programs, there are uh, mediation and, and negotiation training programs offered through a number of institutes, the University of Calgary included. Um, and so they could reach out and, and, and take some training. Um, and, and there's actually a, a certificate program that can become a certified mediator after a, quite an extensive amount of training and experience, but it's there. Uh, so that's certainly a possibility. Okay. Okay. Um, I do do some, some in-house uh, training programs for companies that, that, that sort of have a notion that they'd like to be more conflict competent. In other words, they have enough of those difficult conversations coming at their teams that they'd like the teams to be uh, more aware and more skilled if, in, in the communication di- and, and the dialogue component of communication. Yep. And so they do some training and some in-house coaching by someone like me. There are others that do conflict coaching. Uh, but I think that that's, that's becoming a, a bigger uh, opportunity for companies. Yeah. It, it was set back somewhat by COVID because, of course, people weren't doing much in the way of training uh, Zoom. 
programs, of right. course, but not, not nearly to the degree that they were. Yeah. Well, then on that, I think it would be appropriate to do two things here as we close. I, I want to make sure that people can can reach you so that if they, you know, if they, they need support um, with mediation on something, if they would like to engage with you with some training, or if they'd like to get a copy of the guide, which, uh, which I have, and, and I've found it quite, quite interesting and useful. And how, how's it, what's the best way to, to reach you? My website, I think, is, uh, is, 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 is the access for all of this, www.davidgouldmediation. Um, and it's got the guide on it. It's got a whole bunch of blogs and articles uh, on various aspects, including, interestingly, the nature of conflict. Uh, and it's got uh, contact information for me, and it's got a, a services uh, section that sets out uh, conflict coaching and training and, and my mediation practice. Um, so that's the best and simplest way is just to, to Google uh, my website. And uh, it's, I think it's relatively easy to navigate. Great. Well, we'll we will include uh, that in the show notes page with this episode so that our listeners can find that easy and, and engage with you um, easily. Thank you. That's appreciated. I- uh, there, there's no cost to the guide. In fact, I think that if I understand the technology, they can download it right off the, the website. Great. Or or let me know and I'll send it to you. Okay, awesome. Well, Dave, I, I think that that's a wrap. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. I Every time I sit down with you, I, I take an, another nugget away and I uh, just find it so useful. Good. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's uh, it's it's a it's a message that I think we we need more today than maybe ever before. So hopefully it'll it'll propagate. Great. Okay. Well, thank you, Dave.